what called you to say, let's go back and make Jesus our theme this year? We really need to really reflect upon ourselves and get back to the basics of Christianity. I know we, we live in a system where we go through things and so forth, but we, we don't often reflect upon the significance of what we're saying. And so this is getting back to basics to where each one in this audience can relate to because we all experience Christianity in a different way. Certainly uh, the events and the uh, special activities were, were wonderful. But we wanted to make an effort to put it in people's hearts that it is just as important or more important for us to look to being like Jesus, not just at those special events and at those opportunities to, uh, to meet with other Christians, but we wanted to be Christians every day and be like Jesus every day. And just to think about what that means and to reflect on that at the beginning of the year so we can take that throughout the year and make the year a growing process. If we are Christians and we're followers of Jesus, then it's who we are. It's not what we do. I mean, we do things, but, but, but we, it, it's, it's, our, it's our lifestyle. And, um, and so we can't be departmentalized like a lot of things in our lives. It's got to be, it's got to permeate through every area of our lives, whether we're at work, whether we're at recreation, or whether we're here at services. It's got to be, uh, it's, we got to take on the, that just totally engulfs. You know what we live and how we live and what we talk and how we how we respond to people. We don't have our our Christian life and, and our other life, whatever that may be. But I mean, it's it's all blended together with Christ at the center, and and I think that's getting very much back to the the basics of of what God wants for each of us. And the more we focus on Him, the easier it is to reflect Him and to be like Him, which is our goal to please to please God. I think that doesn't come naturally unless He is our sinner. Could anybody look at my life or your life and say, there's a Christ living within Him. He is a reflection of Christ being upon this earth. So that's a very difficult thing to, to realize, that we must have the mind of Christ. I think everything we do uh, should be focused on Jesus anyway. Uh, if we're not focused on Jesus, how are we going to live a Christian life? I appreciate so much our Shepherd's Challenge this year for us to make Jesus Christ our life. For Jesus to be number one, for it to be more than just about what happens in this assembly, but what happens every day in my life. But I think there's a question we need to ask as we enter this time. What right does Jesus have to demand to be number one. I mean, we're saying Jesus ought to dominate every part of our life, that we should be able to get to the point that we can actually say that Christ is our life. We wouldn't let anybody else come into our life and demand number one. Many people are very uncomfortable with that. Even sometimes religious people. There was a, a national newspaper article not very long ago about a church that deliberately de-emphasized Jesus Christ. And one of the church leaders put it this way, the sad fact is that the name of Jesus Christ has become for many people exclusionary. Using Hindu and Zen intermingled with a few verses from the Bible, 
and recorded music by Willie Nelson. you got to love that. The leader of this group was quoted as saying, we're enabling people to discover God themselves, maybe through Jesus, maybe through Buddha, maybe through a number of ways. You see, we're uncomfortable by the exclusive claims of Jesus. Now, the key to making Jesus number one in your life is to understand that that actually is who he is. It's to understand his position. Many of you may uh, like the TV show, I, I find it quite intriguing, called Undercover Boss. Anybody watch that show? And what they do is they take a CEO of a, a major company and they disguise him or her and they put them in a position where they're just a lowly worker in the company. For instance, Domino's Pizza a few weeks ago, the CEO of that was delivering pizza. He was learning how to make the pizzas. My favorite actually was Roto-Rooter. Where the CEO of Roto-Rooter had to go clean out those sewage tanks. And and the show goes, and and no one really knows who this person is until at the end of the show when the CEO is revealed. And, And when he's revealed, of course, everybody is shocked at who they've worked side by side, who they've complained to, who they have shown their attitude to for good or bad, was actually the CEO of the company. And at the end of the show, decisions are made about the employees and their future because of their interaction with the CEO. He's the undercover boss. And when it comes to Jesus, guys, I think what we need to understand here is that he is like the undercover God. When he comes to this earth, he is disguised. He's born into a poor family in a barn. You know, at the beginning even of his ministry, when people begin to see who he is, he tells them to be quiet. Not until the end of the ministry does he even allow anyone to acknowledge him and confess who he is. Not until the very end does he say, let me go ahead and tell y'all who you're seeing. If you've seen me, you have seen God. And he reveals himself. And when Jesus revealed himself, it's like the undercover boss. Everybody's shocked who we've been hanging around with is not just somebody. This is actually God in the flesh. And and, and honestly, just like in that company, people's futures are determined by their reaction to who Jesus is. Now, as that revelation continues, it reaches its apex in Colossians chapter 1. There's no verses that give us any more about who Jesus is and his grandeur than Colossians 1. We're about to start reading verse 15. In fact, many people think this was a a hymn of the early church. Just for you to get the grandeur and the power of this hymn, I want to read it to you this morning from the message translation. So listen to what Paul says as he completely reveals who Jesus is. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning, 
and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, lowering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, harmonics, excuse me. All because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. What an incredible display of the splendor in the position of Jesus Christ. Now understand what Paul's trying to say here. He's trying to say that Jesus is fully God and fully human. That's the incredible part of the gospel. He first of all, Paul will say, he's the fullness of God. Now we have a hard time with this. We have a hard time trying to put the Trinity together. What does it mean that we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and they're three and they're one? I think sometimes we mess this up because we use the wrong kind of math. We go one plus one plus one equal three. But the right math when it comes to Trinity would be this. One times one times one equals one. You see, the Trinity means that the essence of God is so united that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though God may appear in different forms, they are so united they're one. I used to think if you wanted to explain the Trinity, you might take a a pie and you'd cut it into three different pieces. But that's that's not a good picture of the, the Trinity. It's actually pretty hard to find a good picture, isn't it? Probably the best I've seen is H2O. You've got these elements And the elements remain the same, but at times it appears as water, at times it appears as vapor, and at times it appears as ice. But all the elements are the same. So what what Paul's trying to say here is that he is fully God. He's as much God as the Father, as much God as the Holy Spirit. When you see Jesus, you've seen God. But he's also, this is so unusual and unique, he is fully human. I mean, in the verse we've seen, I mean, he's bled and he's died. You can't get much more human than that. Now, understand while we're studying the book of Colossians that their problem is they're having a hard time visualizing God in the flesh because many people are teaching that the flesh, that matter, is evil. And so how do they deal with this? Either they make him completely and only God, and they say when Jesus comes, he's just a ghost. Some early writers say if Jesus walked on the beach, that his footprints would not be made because he's just a ghost. He's just something you see. Or on the other hand, they make him simply fully a man. And if he's just a man and he's not God, well, then he has no claim on my life. He might be a super cool teacher. He might even be the best rabbi we've ever seen. But he's just a man. And so Paul comes to explain to us that no, he's not just God. He's not just a man. He is fully God and fully man. And guys, that's the gospel story. It's an incredible story. That God has put himself in the form of flesh as a man. And he's grown up. He's been perfect, but he's undergone every temptation we've ever undergone. 
And he is able to allow himself to be the sacrifice for our sins. To bleed like a man, to die, to suffer, to cry, to sweat. But to be perfect is God. In fact, let's look at some specific things that Paul says about Jesus in this passage. First of all, Jesus is the image of God. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the image of God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. I love John 1 verse 18. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling upon Him. We have seen Him full of grace and truth. And then later he says, he has made God known to us. Some modern translations say, he's explained God. The little word there is the word we get, exegesis. And that's the idea, if you take a passage of scripture and you exegete it, what you try to do is you try to understand it. You try to get the meaning of it. And guys, that's exactly what Jesus does for us when it comes to God. He exegetes God. He helps us understand what God's like. My friends, if you're living in the first century and you're walking down one side of a road and on the other side of the road you see Jesus, you could tap your friend and say, look over there. There is God. Uh, The book of Hebrews goes so far to say he is the exact representation of God. The word here in the Greek here in Colossians is he's the icon The word picture, photograph, is similar, but it doesn't go further enough. What it says is he's an exact replica of everything about God. And so if you want to understand God, if you want to understand the invisible God, look at the visible Christ. And you will see everything about the characteristics and the character of Almighty God. You want to know what God is like? You confused about that? Worried about how he's going to treat you or not treat you? Worried about what he's going to say to you? How he'd feel about where you are? Look at Jesus. You'll get the perfect picture of God. Now, second, he says Jesus is the creator. You see the first line here, for in him all things were created. And then he lists them. You see, the big issue of our day is this. Did God create man... Or did man create God? You see, a lot of people want to believe that God is simply an outgrowth of our imagination. That we needed a crutch. And so we came up to try to explain all the terrible things about life. This idea of God. So did God create us or did we create God? Paul claims... That there's nothing that Jesus did not create. Speaking of the Godhead. The creation back in Genesis 1. It appears it's the Father's idea. It's Jesus who executes the plan. And it's the Holy Spirit who hovers across the earth. When it comes to our recreation, it appears it's the Father's plan. It's Jesus who executes the plan. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes to live within us. He creates everything. You see, there's nothing in the universe, the galaxies, there's no planet, no star, no lake, no river, no land, no person. There's nothing that Jesus can look at and not be able to say, it's mine. 
He's the creator. Now let's think for a moment. What is the alternative? If we don't believe he's the creator, then what do we have? Well, here's what we have. We understand today. We got a big bang that somehow came out of nowhere. We've got a little amoeba slime that slowly evolves into a human being. That's what we end up with. Now, if you believe that, what you believe is something that contradicts everything we know from science, is that something came from nothing. And even more practical, if you believe that there is not a creator God, then actually what you come to is the position that there is no such thing as truth. There are no absolutes. How's our culture getting to where it has gotten where there's no absolute morals and truths? It's because we rejected God. And if you don't have God, you have nothing to point to in the long run higher than yourself to say, that's the truth. I I love this conversation I read this week from a a famous Baptist preacher in Memphis named Adrian Rogers. And he's visiting Israel. And his tour guide leader is a Jewish man. And in the middle of the tour, Rogers gets his courage up and he asks the man, Sir, do you believe in God? And the Jewish man says, No, I don't. And then Rogers asks, Why don't you believe in God? And then the Jewish man answered what seems to me a pretty pretty strong argument. The Holocaust. What kind of God would allow that to happen? What do you say to that? Here's Roger's answer. Then Hitler has caused you not to believe in God? The man said, yes, I detest Hitler. And then Roger says, well, you are now on the same side as Hitler. The man gets offended. And Roger says, Hitler didn't believe in God. And as such, you don't believe in God. Hitler believed in evolution. You believe in evolution. Evolution is the survival of the fittest. You believe in the survival of the fittest. And Hitler had his gas ovens because he thought the Aryan race was superior to your people, sir. And then he says, you've become very much like the thing that you fight. What's he saying? If you reject Jesus as the creator, what you have is a universe with no standard. And so then anything goes. Well, let's look at another thing it says. It says Jesus holds all things together. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. You wonder why this whole universe in all of its complexity doesn't just crash doesn't just disintegrate into chaos. Scientists are looking for that um, answer. Stephen Hawkins, a famous British scientist, said, the eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes and holds together the whole universe. The Apostle Paul says, I know the theory you're looking for. It's Jesus. He holds it all together together from chaos. And then one more thing he says, Jesus is the head of the church. Paul doesn't say the preacher is the head of the church. Paul doesn't say the elders are the head of the church. He says that Jesus is the head of the church. I loved watching our shepherds on video this morning. And one of my favorite statements happened about 17 years ago. 
when this church was a little bit in turmoil, and Dick Thompson got up before this church and said, we want you to know for now on, church, that as the shepherds of this church, it is no longer our goal to please you. It is our goal to please God. Why could he say that? Because God is the head of the church. He's the head. Wow. So look at all those things about Jesus. Now here's the deal here, guys. If we believe what Paul has said, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, it makes an incredible difference. You guys, here's what I'm afraid is my problem, and maybe it's yours too. We're just too familiar with this language. We're so familiar, yeah, that Jesus was God and Jesus was man and we know the story of the incarnation and we know the story of the death and we come to church every Sunday and we sort of talk about it. But guys, I think sometimes when you get so familiar with this, it loses its impact. Uh, for instance, have any of you ever lived in a city where there was a paper mill? Okay? You know that, that distinctive smell. And when you first moved there, you said to yourself, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it here. This is just so awful. But over time, you actually got used to the smell. And there even came a point where you woke up every morning and you didn't notice it. You, you became so familiar with it that you didn't notice it. Because that's what I'm afraid happens with us and God. And the, and the truth we're talking about today. Guys, this is big time truth. This is life changing truth. But we've become so familiar with, oh yeah, Jesus God, He's man. He died for me. Forgiveness of my sins. Blah, 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 blah. And guys, what we've got to do is we've got to see if this is truth. And if you believe this, what will it do? For too many of us, we're so familiar, we filtered it out. It's like the smell of that paper mill. We just sort of learned to filter it out. It doesn't impact us any longer when we wake up. Because if we believe the profound truths of this passage, let me tell you some things that can happen in our life. Four R's. The first one is we can be reconciled. The truth of this passage is that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. And he's the only one who could do it. Let me read to you verse 22 and 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What, what, what's he saying there? What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to restore a friendship. And, and because Jesus was both God and man, he is in the perfect position to build that bridge again between God and man so that we can be reconciled. Even though at one time, because of our sins, we were enemies of God. His reconciliation is so powerful that despite the fact you have done God wrong, he can bring you back together. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you look back years ago and you're really embarrassed about it. And just in a bad moment, you did somebody wrong. And your relationship with that person has been destroyed because of what you did. 
Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if someone had the power to reconcile you with that person and it'd all be over? Well, my friends, the truth is we have all done God wrong and Jesus is the one with the power to reconcile us to God. So first of all, we'll be reconciled. Second, if we really believe this, and I want you to pay close attention to this one, we will reorder our lives. You see, this is life-shaking truth. You see, if you take a big truck and you drive that truck over a small, weak bridge, and the bridge shakes, you call that a bridge quake. Or or if you put a big man walking on thin ice, they call that up north an ice quake. And if you take an almighty God and you put him in your life, you've got a God quake. My friends, these things cannot be true without them reordering our life. Because if Jesus is truly God, there is no area of my life that is non-negotiable. There's no area of my life where I can say, you know what? God, you can go anywhere you want to in my life. You can change anything you want to, but not that, not this. I mean, here's a little God. You got everything else. No, 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 no. If he's God, he gets it all. You know, I I talk to people and, and often they won't really ask the question, Sometimes they do, but mostly it just sort of stays undercover. They're, they're thinking about becoming a Christian, and, 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 and they like everything about it, but maybe one or two things. And, and, and what they're saying is, are you really telling me if I become a Christian, I can't have sex unless I'm married? You see, for some people, that's almost a non-negotiable in our culture. If you're telling me that, then I'm not going to do it. Are you telling me if I become a Christian that I've got to forgive my worst enemy? Are you telling me if I become a Christian that I've got to start giving a percentage of my income to God? It's almost like, you know, if that's a part of it, I like everything about this Jesus thing, but if you add that thing to it, Guys, that's like going to the doctor. Let's say you've got some, you've got a friend that's got some terrible disease, and you take them to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, they've been to doctor after doctor, but you finally arrive at the doctor that says, I can heal you, I can cure this. And the doctor says, I can cure it, but there's going to be one problem after this surgery, one problem. The only problem is going to be after this surgery, you can't eat chocolate. And how about if your friend says, well, then no surgery, I'll just go ahead and die from this. Well, what do you say to your friend? You are crazy. You are out of your mind. You guys, I'm telling you, some of us are absolutely crazy and out of our mind to reject fully following God because there's one area of our life that he wants to tamper with that we don't want him to tamper with. So we must reorder our lives. We can't say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but here's an area that you can't fool with. I ask you, what would it mean if you really believe that Jesus were God, if you really believe today the truth of what we're talking about, what area of your life would need to be reordered? Listen to me, my friends. Jesus is not a supplement for you to take just to improve your life. He is the supreme ruler of your life. Are you willing to reorder your time, your priorities, your gifts, your money around Jesus?
If he's truly God and truly man, then he deserves that. Another word here is you would need to relinquish some things. You see, because you say, buddy, I mean, what you're talking about here means I need to change. I'm going to have to change my schedule. I'm going to have to give up some of my recreational pursuits. I'm going to have to spend my money differently. I'm going to have to change some things I'm doing in my life. I've been doing it for years, man. I've been, I've been looking at it okay to stay at these porn sites. I've been doing this since I, I've been a teenager. Man, I'm, I'm a young person. I probably won't be getting married for 10 more years, and you're telling me to, to be pure? This is a lot of change. This, this makes me insecure. Let me say this. Tell that to Jesus. Who has ever given up more than Jesus? Who has put himself in a position to leave security and comfort more than Jesus? I mean, Jesus exists as God in heaven, and he gives it all up to come and rescue us. And I'm telling you, when Jesus begins to be the center of your life, there's nothing he could ask that's too much. And he does invite you to an adventure. And it is full of change. And it might make you even a little bit insecure because whether you like it or not, you've been living life this way for a long time. And it may not really be that hot, but it's not you know. And when Jesus is trying to reorder your life, it's going to look quite different. You're going to have a different purpose. But listen to me. Jesus says, why don't you come join me in this adventure? I was willing to give up everything to come down here and to become one of you. Would you just give up a few things to come be like me? And then, not only do we relinquish these things, but here's the great news. We get to rejoice. We get to rejoice. Because all through this passage, what Paul calls this is this is good news. Why? Because life begins to fit. Jesus is the power that created this universe. He knows what's good and what's bad. He has continued to be the power that holds the universe together. And my friends, he is the power that will hold your life together. Maybe you're struggling with life. It's just not fitting. You try this, you try this, you try this. And you go down this road, and it's a dead end, and this road, it's a dead end, and this road, it's a dead end. Let me tell you guys, why don't you finally relinquish power? Why don't you finally reorder your life? Why don't you be reconciled to God? And then it's going to fit. It's going to work. Because the picture's going to be right. I used to preach, and I used to say this, that if you, if you, if you took a, a picture frame and you put your life in that picture frame, it would completely change if you put God in the picture. Whether you're facing suffering, death, divorce, depression, whatever you're facing, if you put God in the picture, it gives hope. But let me add to the old illustration. What's really going to change is when you put God down the peripheral of that picture, but you put God in the center of that picture, then not only will your life change, but it will work. And and, and you will be able to rejoice no matter what life throws at you. Because everything changes when you believe in this creator God who's got the power not to just create, but to recreate, 
who's got the power over life and the power over death. Why? Because let's go back to the beginning of our message. He is fully God and fully man. He reveals to us what God is like, and He reveals to us how to live on this earth. The Bible says so much about this. The Bible says because He was man, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You understand that? Because Jesus lived as one of us, He's faced every temptation in some form that we face. When you get in trouble, He can come to your rescue. In fact, there's a really curious verse in the book of Hebrews. It says that Jesus was made perfect by the things he suffered. No, 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 no. I thought he was perfect. He's got, he is. What does it mean he was made perfect? It means that going through the trials of life made him perfect for you and us, you and me. Because now, if you've got a problem... God never shakes his head and says, I don't understand. I don't get it. He is able to come to rescue because he has been there. He knows what you're going through. And he'll be there with you and he'll help you through it because he is both fully God and fully man. Now understand this. He is the undercover God. I I like that show, Undercover Boss, because at the end, when it is revealed who the boss is, Every once in a while, you'll see somebody who is really terrible who actually will get fired because the boss was around them and saw the way they did their work and saw their attitude. But more times than not, you'll see the CEO, the boss, when it's revealed, come back into their life. Maybe he met a single mother that's struggling to pay their bi- her bills, and he gives them a raise. Or maybe he meets a father who's got a sick son that needs some time out, and the CEO brings him into the big office and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 12 weeks of vacation time for free so you can go see about your son. And the boss comes back in because now he understands what it's like to work, and he gives a raise or he gives a blessing or he gives a vacation and here's what I want you to know if you today will be reconciled to God if you will reorder your life if you will relinquish your power to his you're going to be able to rejoice because he is perfect to come to your aid and he is going to give you blessings like you've never expected But listen, he's number one. And he has every right to ask you to make him number one in your life. Why? Because that is literally who he is. If he's God and I'm not, he's got power over everything. And so I ask you today, is it time for you to be reconciled to God? Is it time for you to reorder your life? centered on him and who he is. If it is, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing.